Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy, and after years working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out there on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life, behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. I'm really glad that you're here with me today because I think that the topic we're digging into is really important and incredibly and obviously timely. We have been in this pandemic mess for a little over a year now, and it's impacted everything and everyone. It's been a year of constant uncertainty, whether it's the uncertainty of how long this will last, whether kids will return to school, whether you're allowed to go for a walk with a friend, or whether your mask is sufficient to be allowed into a grocery store, we've been walking constant unknowns to an extent and degree that many of us have not had to experience in our lifetimes. There's been this element of risk that has played into the background of every choice we make. And it's exhausting. For everyone, there's been this requirement for adaptability, to roll with the ever-changing punches of new restrictions or advisements as we learn more and work at supporting safety in our communities. But for first responders and frontline workers, this demand for adaptability has been on a whole other level. I know there have been days and weeks where every shift has had a new set of policies and procedures to learn and adapt to. All this while facing staffing shortages and a lack of sufficient PPE and equipment to support and ensure your safety. The weight of it has been heavy. When I'm asked how things have been throughout this past year, I've often found myself using words like dense and thick to describe much of it. Some days weren't necessarily able to be qualified as good or bad. They were just thick, like wading through wet cement, just trying to do the basic things. I know I'm not alone in feeling that. Often I would share the word thick and I would get this resounding yes in response because, oh my goodness, it has been just such a thick, dense, heavy kind of year. It's not to say there haven't been good things, good moments that break through the thickness. Certainly there have been, and likely for all of us. I think many of us have become more grateful for these things that we might normally have taken for granted because they mean so much more now in contrast to the thick and heavy stuff. I have never found myself as aware of sunny days as I am now, I'm generally a bit of a homebody and I'm now far more grateful for the ability to be out or doing outside of my home in ways I would never have felt before. 
I'm conscientious of voicing my gratitude and appreciation for things and people wherever possible. And I'm finding that this has been my sanity saver to overtly acknowledge the good, to try to shine a light on it and highlight it to help my brain see and feel the contrast to the other stuff. My guess is that it's that way for you too, that there have been some okay things, some good things, maybe even some things that have been transformative in meaningful ways that you'll keep even if or when we get to return to some kind of normal. And yes, I know we need to have some skepticism about what a new normal might look like. Last week, we started a conversation about what it means to process something significant, like a pandemic. I shared that concerns exist, that if we don't offer support to our key frontline people, we run the risk of losing a swath of really amazing professionals because we've asked too much of them for too long without giving them what they need to sustain in it. This was already a risk within your profession, but the risk has increased exponentially as a result of the demands and pressures placed on you during this pandemic and the associated opioid crisis and mental health decline of the general population. Now, in a perfect world, supporting you would be a whole lot more than offering you the information and support I try to offer here on this podcast. But I continue to be confronted by the fact that I don't run the world or have the ability to make sweeping changes to the systems that surround you. So I'm going to do the best I can to give you what I can, and I hope that you'll make use of it in ways that help protect and preserve you to the best of your ability within this context of systemic shortcomings and, at times, outright failures that we're all caught in. Last week, I talked about what it means to process something from a therapeutic making sense of and making space for experiences in our own story kind of perspective. I also talked about the pieces involved in processing experiences. If you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's episode yet, I would really encourage you to go back and take a listen. It was episode 15, if that helps you hunt it down. As today's topic expands a bit on what we talked about last time. Today, I want to talk a bit about what we need to set ourselves up for success when it comes to processing and integrating experiences. As a heads up, what we're going to talk about today may feel a bit familiar if you've been a loyal listener, as it's going to bridge into several concepts that we've talked about on the show before. I also want to say that we're focusing on this area of processing as it relates to the pandemic experience that we're collectively facing. But these same principles and tools remain the same regardless of what type of stressor or trauma-related experience we're talking about. So these concepts are transferable and useful within your work and life and can be scaffolded out from the pandemic to other kinds of critical incidents as well as cumulative and even systemic level stressors that you face either at work or in your life outside of your work. As a trauma therapist, I often have clients who come to see me who are keen to heal from the traumatic events and experiences that they've survived. They want to dive in, process the junk, and be out the other side living their best life, preferably as quickly as possible. They often have ideas about what they think that means and looks like. It usually involves a belief that they have to tell the entirety of their story from beginning to end in extraordinarily graphic and gruesome detail. And I get it. 
This has been a bit of a misunderstanding perpetrated by therapists of old and perpetuated by modern day media. Back in the day, we thought the only way to process high stress or traumatic events was to talk about them in detail over and over and over again. And to this day, this myth is perpetuated in television and film where clients lay reclined on a chaise, staring up at the ceiling, describing their experiences, while some guy in a suit scribbles notes in the corner and randomly says, mm-hmm, and how does that make you feel? All the better if he has a German accent and a white beard. Very Freud-esque, no? Meanwhile, the reality is that our understanding of what it means to process information and integrate it into our systems has evolved dramatically, thanks to capacities to test and measure using far more advanced brain scanning technology than was historically available. What we've learned is that the part of the brain that verbalizes, that tells the story, is not well connected to the part of the brain that manages stress and stores high stress or traumatic experiences. What this means is that telling the story over and over again doesn't actually help the part of our brain that is most connected to the experience. And actually research has found that this process of telling and retelling the story in graphic detail can have a hindering effect on processing by actually further activating the stress system and re-traumatizing people. What we've learned over the last several years about processing high stress and traumatic experiences is that we have to work with the parts of the brain that deal with stress and trauma, and that this does not generally happen primarily through talking. Now, that's not to say that talking about our challenges and experiences isn't helpful at all. It just means that it's not the exclusive or primary mechanism by which we experience relief and or healing. The systems involved in stress responses are highly connected to our physiology, which makes sense, right? When something stressful happens, it kicks off our stress response system in our brain, which responds by activating various areas of our body to be prepared to fight, flee, freeze, or fawn. Again, language will circle back to some other time. It jacks our system up in an effort to have it ready for anything and able to respond. First responders and frontline workers know all too well the adrenaline rush and then the crash afterward. Your stress system also kickstarts cognitive processes intended to risk assess and determine best responses for survival outcomes, as well as setting off emotion response processes that help you to evaluate and react to a situation as it evolves. As a result of this relationship between the stress center of your brain and its direct wiring to key parts of your body, as well as the emotional and cognitive systems that it fires up, what we've learned is that processing high stress or traumatic experiences is a multi-level piece that needs to include the various systems that were involved at the time that the stressor was lived. If you remember back to last week's episode, I talked about the importance of four levels working together to create an internal story that makes sense to us. The levels were our emotions, our cognitions, our physiology, and our psyche. We talked about how these levels need to come together to process and integrate experiences. 
If it's helpful, I've included the link for the PDF summary from last week's episode about these four levels in the show notes for this week as well. Feel free to take a look at that if it's helpful for you to reference as you work through your own process. Now, to set ourselves up for success in doing this whole processing and integrating thing, there are a few pieces that are important to understand and include. First and foremost, safety is key. The opposite of stress and trauma is safety. When we are working to quiet our stress center and reduce its activation, we want to try to offer it the opposite of stressful and further activating experiences, which is why safety is a really important piece. Safety helps to reassure our brain and our body that we are out of the hot seat moment of a significant stressor or traumatic event and that we can let our guard down a bit. It lets our brain and body take a break from scanning for threat, assessing for risk, and running anticipatory scenarios to be prepared for all of the possible outcomes. Safety also helps us keep our brains and bodies anchored in a context that recognizes that we have not-so-safe experiences, but that we also have some safe ones, which helps it to process from a lens that knows and feels connected to the fact that the world isn't all bad or hard or stressful all the time. Now, to achieve safety is a different issue. We can understand the need for safety conceptually, but actually putting it into place is a whole other ball of wax. For some who have been in the work for a long time, or who have come into the work with backgrounds that include a fair amount of stress and trauma, Safety is going to likely be harder to feel connected to. Part of what happens when we experience persistent stress and activation of our stress center is that it actually creates fundamental changes in our brain that make it harder to experience and feel connected to safety, calm, and other related experiences. That doesn't mean it's hopeless. It just means it's a bit harder and may take more conscientious effort and some time to see progress. Regardless of your background, some of the most valuable ways you can start implementing safety is by using some of the mindfulness tools we talked about during our series on mindfulness back in January. For those of you who missed them, check out episodes 7, 8, and 9 of Behind the Line. Mindfulness skills work to regulate your stress center by strengthening the parts of your brain that counterbalance the stress center part of your brain. Engaging in these skills can take some practice and will feel uncomfortable sometimes, but when practiced, they have been shown to help in significant ways to reduce stress, calm the nervous system, and support meaningful processing and integration of difficult experiences. They're a key prerequisite. This leads me into number two, balanced brains process best. When you think about attempting to be proficient at something, like anything, it takes investment, right? Like if I want to be a good runner, for example, I would need to invest time into strengthening my cardiovascular system for sure, but I would also likely want to do some strength training and stretching to prevent injury and possibly shift my diet to support my general capacity to run well. Brains are a bit like this too. Like anything else, your brain can overtrain some areas and undertrain others. And when this happens, it has difficulty responding to the breadth of issues that arise. 
You might get super strong at dealing with emergency situations, but feel like you're crawling out of your skin when your kid wants to cuddle at bedtime. You might be great in a crisis, but find the quiet moments before bed to be agonizing. If you've been a loyal listener, you'll likely know where I'm headed. This is exactly why we've covered some of the topics we have so far, including resilience, mindfulness, and self-care, because these are some of the core competencies and prerequisites for healthful living, as well as healthful processing. They allow us to cross-train our brains so that we're not over or under training any given part. When we intentionally invest in these pieces, resilience skills, mindfulness practices, and self-care routines, we cultivate a brain that can maximize its skills for adaptability and problem solving, for storytelling and meaning making, for contextualizing and integrating. If we want to process our experiences around this pandemic or other experiences that we've had as first responders, frontline workers, and just plain humans in a world with a lot of exposure to hard things, we need to invest in giving our brains the best shot at helping us hold it and make sense of it all. Next, as we work to set ourselves up for success in processing this pandemic, remember that it's not just about the story. Yes, I know that last week we talked a lot about how processing means piecing together various factors to create a story you can hold, And that's still totally true. But what I mean here is that processing is not just about the story of what happened, the mechanical details of an experience that would be picked up by a video camera if we recorded it. To process an experience, we need to be able and willing to dig deeper than the superficial telling of the story as it happened into the spaces of how it happened for us, how we experienced it personally, as a human who is not a robot and feels the weight of the family member's look of desperation or the smells or sounds or other variables of events or experiences that we are in the midst of. The story is not just a story. It needs to be our story. And we need to be able to interact honestly with ourselves about the way the story is for us. This will likely mean taking time carving out time and space to take a look at the story and our experience of it. For some, practices like journaling or reflection can be helpful to intentionally create spaces to interact with your own story and shape it. If these practices are not something you currently use, you may want to consider incorporating something along these lines. It doesn't have to be a daily thing, just some time on a semi-regular basis to check in with yourself and engage with the stories that are hitting you to seek understanding around how you are making sense of these experiences. And the last piece that is a significant prerequisite to successful processing is connection. I don't mean spaces where you can talk in graphic detail about all of the hard things. Like we mentioned earlier in this episode, this can actually be counterproductive and re-traumatizing in some situations. What I mean is that we need to experience spaces where we feel seen, heard, known, and valued. When we live in a context where we experience these things, we will tend to be able to contextualize the hard things more accurately and effectively. 
Remember last week we talked about how our experience shape biases that can inform how we process and make meaning of experiences. Like we can over-personalize things or we can experience them through a highly negative skew that connects to my internal sense of worthlessness or other difficulties. When we feel anchored into a community of people who we feel get us and care for us, these skews tend to be quieter and have less involvement in shaping how we perceive and make sense of our experiences. The people in our life also help us to contextualize our experiences and can offer alternative perspectives about how the story is our story. Your people are an invaluable resource. And in the midst of a pandemic, while our social connections are different than they once were, they're no less important. As we wrap up this episode on the pieces we need in place in order to process well, I want to take a moment to just acknowledge you that you continue to show up here and invest the work into you so that you can continue to invest well into our communities. Next week, we're going to talk about how to talk about our stories with those in our lives. As we look at processing this pandemic and making sense of it within ourselves, there are also challenges we face when we consider sharing our stories with others. Whether it be with others on the front lines who get it but tend to respond with one-upping, or with those in our circle who are not on the front lines and struggle to really understand what it's like, but have good intentions and want to be supportive. I hope you'll join us for that. As always, I hope if you are finding this podcast resource helpful, that you'll share it with your friends and coworkers. It's been genuinely amazing to see this resource grow since we launched in December. It's a bit overwhelming, really, but I'm so thrilled to hear stories from many of you about the ways in which this resource has helped you, and I hope it continues to grow and find its way into the hands of those who need it most. Thank you so much for helping me to reach others on the front lines. Your support means so much to me. Like I said, I do hear from many of you regularly about how this resource has been helpful and with thoughts and ideas for future episodes. I love hearing from you and I hope you'll reach out. You can follow me on social media. You can subscribe to our weekly emails that alert about new podcast episodes, or you can shoot me an email anytime. My contact info is always in the show notes. I'll hope to hear from you soon. And until next time, stay safe.